0: welcome back to the show. Of course, my name is Darcy and joining me as always is Jason. How's it going, buddy?
1: Good. How are things down south, man?
0: They are good. Um, My daughter and I noticed tonight that when we got back from uh, her Muay Thai, that it was still some daylight out. So we both celebrated a small little victory dance at the doorway there.
1: I know, and when you can get home from work and it's not pitch black.
0: Right? And And it's like, you know, 6.30 when we got home. So, I mean... You know, it, it has been and, and it's nice to see some light at that time of day.
1: Yeah, but don't worry. If you another month and we have the old daylight savings time will screwed all over for us.
0: Well, that's right. I think uh this weekend is uh, set your clocks ahead on Sunday. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: I don't know if that's Saturday night technically or like like two AM Sunday morning or something. I don't know.
1: But yeah, that'll but, mess me up. Yeah. Kill off a few more people.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was really hoping that Alberta would get rid of that, but they just kind of bailed on that whole thing. So, which, yeah, I know another, which...
1: another great election promise gone astray.
0: Yeah, well, and it was like they did you know public consultation and all this stuff, got all this feedback, and then just kind of, eh, we're not going to do it anymore, and walked away. And it was
1: over. Well, and it was overwhelming. There was an overwhelming number of people who who uh, supported the getting rid of daylight savings time. Yeah, and it was. Ah, uh, from my understanding, it was companies, uh, corporations that came in, and uh, a couple of them were, I think, it was the hockey guys in oh. Calgary and Edmonton, and the air people, uh, airlines.
0: Really? Huh. Well, of course, corporate Which, corporations have the uh, have the say, right?
1: Kind of blows my mind because I don't understand what the heck, like, how how bad is Saskatchewan? Is that why they don't have hockey teams? Because they got did they don't have daily savings time?
0: <laughs> well, that's right. I don't know. Know. Well, it messes me up every, like, twice a year, too, because I travel through BC and Alberta and Saskatchewan every month. So for part of the year, I'm on time with Saskatchewan, but off when I go to BC. And then the other part of the year, I'm on with BC, but off when I go to Saskatchewan. So it messes me up completely. So, yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) But let's get into some Métis stuff tonight. We have uh, a few stories um, kind of along the line of last week's episode where we talked about uh, the MNC support of Justin Trudeau, the great and all-powerful man who walks on water in answer to our prayers, Prime Minister. Um, We have David Chartrand in the MMF doubling down in their support of Justin Trudeau in the wake of Jody Wilson-Raybould's testimony. So I guess my first question to you, Jason, is did you hear any of the uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould testimony or did you have time to listen to any of that?
1: Not specifically. I did manage to skim through a few articles um, about what was going on and and a lot of people's response, I guess, more or less to the outcome and uh, seeing uh, people's reactions to how this is all playing out.
0: Yeah, it was pretty amazing. It was, uh, I mean, it's it's kind of mind-blowing testimony, to be honest with you, because she kind of lifted the roof on all of it and you know, she made it clear that uh, even though there was technically, I don't think, any laws broken, there was definitely some uh, wink-wink, nudge-nudge kind of pressure going on. And uh, I find it very interesting that both the MNC as, a, as one national group and now the MMF doubling down uh, are choosing to support the colonizing government over uh, a former, you know, assembly, I think she was an AFN regional chief, Uh, She was a Crown prosecutor, an Indigenous woman. So I find it very interesting they're willing to just throw her out with the bathwater and support the colonial government rather than an Indigenous woman.
1: Well, we haven't seen much support from these organizations for anything uh, Indigenous women-oriented inside their own institutions as far as furthering any programs and services specifically designed for women. Yeah, so it's no huge shock that uh, you know just because an indigenous woman held that portfolio, and uh, the government themselves is kind of trying to run over her with the bus. Yeah, <laughs> there's no no reason I would expect the uh, the Métis National Council and any of its affiliates to definitely come to her defense.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, and I'm just kind of I'm I'm as we're speaking, I'm kind of scanning through an article, and I just I don't know it. it I know a lot of people are really being very supportive of, uh, Jody Wilson at this time. Um, and I just, I find it very, uh, like, yeah, I know there's some that still support the colonial government. We'll call those guys, uh, I don't know, colonized. Um, but I find that it's very distinct, the split between, um, the, I guess the backlash on what they've said as far as supporting Justin Trudeau compared to like a lot of people really want them to support Jody Wilson and... And it's been online, and I've seen a little bit of on on social media where people are very upset that they're supporting Justin Trudeau at this time. Um, But, I mean, it's not really surprising. A, just follow the money path. But also, um, I mean, we're coming into an election, and these guys are in full-on get Justin Trudeau elected mode. And, I mean, it, it really shouldn't be any surprise to anybody that they don't back an Indigenous. I mean, they don't back First Nations in their own you know, in within that blue blob map. So I don't know why they would back Jody Wilson-Raybould, but um, a lot of people sure seem upset by it on on social media. Anyway,
1: well, and I think so. I think that it just goes to show that in the Indigenous community, there's not a lot of support um, from our organizations towards any one specific individual, no matter the circumstances they find themselves in, especially those in leadership. Um, I I find it a bit, you know, mind boggling that. Uh, that our organizations like uh, the META organization don't bat an eye when the people they're dealing with in good faith and for the honor of the crown are continually caught in acts of corruption.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I could understand maybe perhaps at first before her testimony, before really we knew anything of what actually happened, I can kind of see the original um, statement of, well, you know, people have been asking how this affects our, you know, the things that we've quote-unquote negotiated with the government. And so I could kind of almost see a statement there. But at this point, it's almost better just to not say anything than to come out and support the colonial government over the, you know, in in my opinion, the very truthful words of an Indigenous woman. Um, And... What's, what I find interesting is is it's so clear that these presidents act acting as in their dictatorship, you know, regime of power, absolutely don't resp- uh, represent a lot of the people that are within these organizations, at least not a lot of the people that are vocal about these kinds of things.
1: Well, and I, I think that's the, a lot of the challenge, though, as we've, you know, as so we've talked about over, you know, how many episodes, um, the real disconnect between leadership and what goes on on the ground in the organizations. There's from the community level to the administrative level, there's a big gap Yeah. and a, and a very uh, deaf ear inside these uh, the cartel organizations. I'm continually surprised though that they wouldn't come out and uh, express some concern over the seriousness of these allegations. I mean, let's be really honest. If we were in the Stephen Harper era of politics right now and the blue machine was in full swing, what do you think the tone coming out would be from the Métis National Council and its affiliates regarding these allegations? Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I mean. Like once once she kind of testified and the words are out there and we've all heard what she had to say now, you're almost better just to retreat and not say anything and accept the fact that you made one statement, but that was before, so you can just kind of walk away. But they don't, it, it honestly, it just doesn't seem like they care. They're there to get j t reelected because they know that's where the gravy train is. All those promises for all those billions of dollars is on the horizon on the other side of that election. And so we really need a red uh, government in the next election, and that's what they're focused on and and i I think unfortunately, in my opinion, that's really what this boils down to more than anything I don't think. You know, the Queen herself could have walked in and said this was wrong. I think they would still side with JT just in an effort to get him reelected.
1: <laughs> that's yeah, as long and I think that's re- you're absolutely correct. That's what this is about. If the the Conservatives were in it and this was the allegations and they were staring down the barrel of four more years of austerity and you know being shut out of of the uh, halls of power, you can guarantee they'd be having some very strong words about these the allegations facing the government now. So essentially what we can take away from this or what I'm taking away from this is they've been paid off. That's what this is about. Justin Trudeau has, you know, talked to the Métis people and their government and said, how do I best pay them off? So when election time comes, I've got them in my corner. And you know, this whole business going on now is really inconvenient when you're in an election year. But the reality is they, they, Liberal government should rest assured that the money is well spent with the Métis National Council. Uh, they are reaffirmed that they are making sure their membership continues to vote the Liberal way, regardless of any allegations and no matter how how poorly they treat Indigenous people within the government. Totally, absolutely.
0: I I, I just um I just was trying to think like you know if um if JT doesn't get elected and I think. I think this um, play of using this funding, first, I mean, it says a lot about this liberal, liberal government when they they make these promises that won't get put into place until after the next election. So that tells you a lot about, you know, the ethics and credibility right there of these people that these guys, and you know, Chartran himself has said, or maybe it was Chartier, I can't remember now. Uh, one of them said that, they, you know, JT's the answer to the, our prayers and blah, blah, blah. But yet what what kind of person you know in a in a quote unquote democracy uses things like oh well we'll we'll fund you after the next election, right? okay? So you know, this is waiting for you. I mean, that says a lot about the ethics of this government. And then on the other side of that, when you look at the metis organizations, it says a lot about what their priorities are when a pay you know a dollar sign is what gets them motivated. Um, you know, and you know you look at the history of these organizations, they weren't uh, the key instrumental figures in the Harry Daniels case. you know in in uh, any of these cases that went to the Supreme Court that, that got metis rights and the Pauli case, they weren't key players in any of that. Um, the, most of the time they, if they were players, they came in late to the game. So it just shows you like all they really are f- focused on is money. And you have specifically these two guys uh, that have been in power for decades, <laughs> that have been they're getting well paid and have been for decades, and probably have pensions and all sorts of things set up. Meanwhile, there's Métis that are like living in shanties. So it, it, it's pretty sad when our you know these people are I'll just quote un-elected to represent Métis people, but they're they're just kind of throwing Métis people under the bus like, well, if you don't vote for Trudeau, then I, I guess we're not going to get our funding and you can continue to live in your shanty. Like, like it's it's just pretty mm-hmm. sad.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's the huge disconnect, right? If you're at the community level, you have a total different kind of engagement in Métis identity and Métis politics and the Métis world. From the community to this, uh, you know, very lopsided administration. Boy, there's a huge, huge gap, and it doesn't seem that at any point, in any level, in any jurisdiction, that they can be held accountable. Yeah, yeah, and
0: and I, it's unfortunate because I, I see a lot of people on, especially on social media, that are very upset with the things they're doing. But at the same time, when Chartrand ran in the last election, he ran acclaimed. There was nobody that opposed him. So well I, I I have empathy for these people that are are saying, you know, oh, these guys are all about money and they don't represent us. Well then what are you doing continuing to be part of organizations that that you don't agree with that don't represent your values and your, your beliefs and aren't don't seem to be doing much for you. I mean, there are other organizations out there. You can go start your own if you want why are these organizations so entrenched that people will allow this to go on? That's And that's the question I always come back to with this stuff. And it just kind of almost makes me a little depressed.
1: Well, and I think that's it. I think that the, one of the big challenges is very discouraging because this organization is basically monolithic at this point. We have, you know, they have billions of dollars. You know, they we have hereditary administration that can go unopposed and unchallenged and let's be honest, what would be the point? Um, because it's they've been in there so long that their influence and the fingers, you know, of power go out so far that you really I don't know how it would not you know have to overthrow everything. Would you would have to replace the whole board? Uh how many portfolios would you have to use flop over to completely new administration before you could really make headway and then you're still hampered at the end of the day by the bylaws. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, and that's just it. I mean, these guys have, have definitely gone out of their way in all of the, uh, you know, the cartel organizations to ensure that their power and their authority and their positions are all very much entrenched, uh, and as have made it almost as almost impossible for somebody else to come in and win and beat them. Um, you know, here in Alberta, you saw people getting turned away because, Conveniently, they decided to do a membership review right before the, you know, a certain time frame before the last election and not notify people. So that disqualified people from voting and, you know, things like that. So they they do these things to make, ensure that they keep power. And I, I just have to, you know, I always wonder, is that is that what Métis people want? Is somebody who's more concerned about their power and their their own wealth? or somebody who perhaps actually cares about the people that they're supposed to be representing. And unfortunately, the answer is it's very clear that people aren't willing to change. They're not willing to leave these organizations. They're not willing to, you know, <laughs> have a coup d'etat, so to speak.
1: Well, and it is, its is. We've reached this static, you know, stasis where there's, a you know, a significant number of people now who are either shut out from the organization because of these Reductive membership roll calls that, that we've talked about lots and you know, uh, so it doesn't matter if you're disgruntled and you're inside the organization. It doesn't matter if you're now shut out from the organization. It doesn't matter what landscape you look at right now across the Métis homeland. There isn't a coalesced alternative. Um, and that, that, should be alarming since the vast majority of people who call themselves Métis and identify that way fall outside this organization. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a huge portion.
0: Um, and what, I've, what I also found interesting about going back to his their support, their full-on, absolute drop-dead support of, of the good old JT there, um, you know, sh- within a day or two of them coming out and Chartran coming out and doubling down and making more statements about how much they love and support Trudeau and... You know, it, it just—I mean—I don't know if you could pry those two their 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 lips off off JT's ass, but uh, you know, it, it'd be amazing to, to see that. But um, then we have Minister, the Honorable Minister Jane Philpott, come out and resign, <laughs> showing more dignity and more ethics and more moral character than these people that are supposed to be representing Métis people. Um, And, you know, even she said in her letter, and and I'm going to just read this, it says, Unfortunately, the evidence of efforts by politicians and or officials to pressure the former Attorney General to intervene in in the criminal case involving SNC-Lavalin, and the evidence as to the content of those efforts have raised serious concerns for me. Those concerns have been augmented by the views expressed by my constituents and other Canadians. So I I just want people to understand, and I'm not saying Jane Philpott's the, an amazing, wondrous human being, but let's let's just, that statement in and of itself kind of says everything that what I believe, a person in a position like David Chartrand or Clem Chartier or, you know, Madam President here in Alberta, that's kind of the statement that I would expect them to make, um, is that those concerns augmented by the views expressed by their their Métis, um, you know, citizens, as they like to call them, should be where they form their statements. But they're just forming their statements based on what's best for them and what's best for their organization, the corporation. And that's it. And so I thought the contrast between those two was quite quite, um, eye-opening.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head. They're doubling down on their pre-election support. Uh, The government's money then is uh, well entrusted in paying them off to basically pull the party line. And let's be honest, for good reason. There is a huge carrot on the end of that stick after the Trudeau government gets back in. And I'm, I'm really curious, you know, we're we're not that far away from an election. You know, if you look into the future, let's say the Trudeau government does get back in. What is their capacity to actually deliver then on all these promises?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's... You know,
1: there's this is huge financial obligations on the part of the, the liberal government that is going to have to, is, you know, is going to be a huge item on the budget.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, I can't... I, I, I'm positive that they're going to find some way to defer it off another year or it'll be a reduced amount or something. Because, yeah, I, they're just not going to start writing checks as soon as they get elected. I mean, they, they're going to have to, first off, if, if they do win, which even through all of this, I do still s- sort of believe that uh, JT has another term coming. Um, so if they do win, I mean they're going to have to do some damage control they're going to have to win some try to win people back a little bit and i don't think writing big checks is what's going to do it at first um and but yeah, I, hey you never know maybe um what i am positive of is that the organizations will definitely get their increased operating budgets The salaries will definitely get their increases. Their travel and professional fees, budgets will definitely get their increases. But as far as what actually people see in the community level, not sure when that'll happen. And uh, I think if you were to ask any of these presidents, hey, when are we going to see this housing money? They'd probably have the same answer in a more political, bullshittery way. But in the end of the day, it would be, well, we're not really sure. So,
1: Mm hmm. Well and I think that's the whole problem with these these all these MO user signing. You got uh, framework agreements and you got all this kind of stuff but it doesn't say on such and such a date the check will be in your account. Yeah. You know, for these programs and services it's just you know, absolutely paperwork with lots of words and very little teeth as far as actually delivering the goods to Métis people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and like we've talked about endlessly before, I mean, what does all this funding mean? There's no specifics to it. What is what is funding for housing mean? Like, is that housing in Calgary, Edmonton? Or is it like, what housing? You know, like, there's no specifics. So it's it's just going to all be kind of laundered through the big machine of bureaucracy. And in the end of the day, very little, if any, is actually going to trickle out. So it it's, but I mean, we've, We've, we've kind of gone
1: on endlessly about that. Um, well, and we have covered it lots. What I find tragic is that at the end of the day, we have government officials coming out saying that what's going on inside, uh, you know, of this, you know, this hearing and the evidence is being put forward, is that they you no know, feel comfortable in holding their position, and and even more, what speaks to me is is the part where. where They're talking about this is what's going on in my constituency. These are what the people who I represent are talking about. And I have to do, you know, the will of the people. Yeah. And you counter that directly with, you know, these Metis leaders who tout themselves as the government for the Metis people. Um you look at, you know, they're they're willing to say, Well, we don't care what you're accused of. We don't care where your moral integrity is. We don't care how shady your business dealings are as long as you send the money our way.
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the thing. I mean, when you, when you talk about, I mean, I know that it is hard to sometimes take a stand when you, that money is definitely needed for a lot of things. Um, But at the end of the day, they're not trickling that money down already. They they already have multi-million dollar budgets and yet there's still Métis that have no adequate housing. They're, it's not trickling down to those levels. And so you throw more money in that, it, it's not going to make a difference. It's still not going to trickle down.
1: Well, and and then you add on top of that that this person was willing to resign their position, which is a cabinet position, which means it's got a paycheck attached to it. Oh yeah. Of sig- significant bonus money. Yep. And they're willing to do the right thing, even though it hits them personally in the pocketbook, because that's what accountability to constituents means. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is yeah. is sad that we can't look at uh, any level of Métis government and find that same passion for making sure that the, the people Are heard.
0: exactly. You know, a lot of people have been comparing what uh, Jody Wilson did to Elijah Harper uh, back in the day, and um, for those who don't know, Elijah Harper is the one who basically kiboshed the Meech Lake Accord. Um, Mm -hmm. He filibustered it essentially, and and it, you know, because of him, other provinces refused to sign on. Well, as soon because it was a constitutional amendment it has to be unanimous and no, and with provinces not signing on, it it failed. And that was because of Elijah Harper. And a lot of people are comparing what she did to that because of the level of integrity that it showed. And, you know, I, I mean, I want to talk about Jody Wilson-Raybould just a minute because it's not like she came out and leveled accusations of, you know, absolute criminal code violations and all these things. She basically just came out and said, here's what happened. Here's, my take on it. Here's how I felt when they said certain things, and here's how they responded when I questioned them about certain things, and when I listened to her, her testimony, the the parts that I listened to, it it wasn't like she was trying to just you know destroy uh, Justin Trudeau or any of the liberals. It was more that this was wrong, and she felt that she had an obligation to come out and say what happened and i i totally agree with you that takes a i mean she resigned from arguably one of the most powerful positions in the government of canada in the entire country so guaranteed that was a pretty decent paycheck she resigned from that she res, you know resigned from an, the veterans affairs when she was given that i mean that and that came with good perks and a great paycheck and es- and essentially her political career now is kind of questionable because, you know, if she stays with the Liberal Party, she'll obviously be a backbencher. She's not. And so it comes with a serious demotion of salary, demotion of responsibilities, recognition. She was willing to give that up. Jane Philpont was willing to give that up. And like you said, it's sad that you can't expect the people that are supposed to represent, you know, Métis people to have that same level of integrity and and
1: ethics. Well, especially when you look backward in time, I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of touting of, you know, our historic Métis leaders in the form of Riel and Dumont, and you look at the personal sacrifices they put on the line for the preservation and, and forward movement of the Métis people. Um, sadly, we don't have that kind of integrity, it seems, within the Métis leadership these days. No. Um we have a lot of people who are interested in paychecks, we have a lot of people interested in their portfolios, we have a lot of people interested in the titles that come with running these organizations and very little to do with making sure that the poorest, the most disenfranchised, marginalized, and those still living on the roadside have a fair shake as being part of the Metis nation.
0: Absolutely. And and I think that's you know I, Part of the reason I I called them the cartel and and we started that was because that's how I really feel that they are. They've they they don't seem to really care about the people. They care about the money and they will step on anybody. They will walk on anybody's back. They will do whatever it takes to ensure that the corporation and themselves and maybe a handful of their friends are very well taken care of. And... uh, you know, this These are the people that are running these organizations. These are the people that are sitting in a room with the Prime Minister of Canada quote-unquote negotiating for, on behalf of Métis people. People that, if Justin Trudeau said, here, I want to do this, they'd say, yep, because we fully support you. You're the best Prime Minister ever. I mean, mm-hmm. it, <laughs> when you have the attitude that he's the answer to our prayers, I don't think you're being an effective negotiator.
1: <laughs> Well, I, I think that that's the whole problem. Is they have done all their negotiating, they have been promised all the money, and the conversation is over. And now it's about trying to make sure that, like we said before, Justin Trudeau's party gets back in for that next election. Yeah. Because that's where the money's all tied. So we really, you know, the the leadership here now no, no longer really cares at all about who's best for the Métis people. It's about The funding is best for the Métis Nation. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's really
0: too bad because I do know there's a lot of people upset. But uh, you know, unless people actually start standing up to these uh, corporations and these these presidents, uh, nothing's going to change. You know, I look at Alberta, and they're still waiting, sitting around waiting for the Métis judiciary to get reinstated, and nobody's really doing anything about that. Um, I look at, you know, the Métis Nation of Saskatchewan, still a disaster and it's totally disorganized. And, um, you know, nobody seems to be really pushing hard to get that straightened out. Uh, the MMF is just, you know, on track to rake in, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars. And the MNCs is just sitting there and raking in their cash. So, you know, who's being helped right now? Who in the last three years has, you know, been... Taken out of a poverty situation, or or really benefited other than your scholarships, your bursaries, and some some you know minor job training programs. Beyond that, how has anybody been helped? Uh, you know, like um, I, and it it's just beside me to to see people sit around and complain about it. But when push comes to shove, you still had a very shitty turnout in the last M and A election. All of these elections, you have a very crappy turnout. Nobody seems to really go out and care. So, unfortunately, there's maybe, you know, a handful of really loud people that oppose these guys. But for the most part, the membership just kind of says, yeah, well, do what you want. And I I don't know where that comes from. I don't know if that's because Métis aren't for, weren't forced onto res situations. And, you know, we're living in cities and towns and we're, I, I don't know, maybe we're too enfranchised. I, I don't know where it comes from where it's just like, yeah, whatever, just do whatever you want,
1: you know? Huge disengagement, and we've talked about it a lot, and it's a riddle that, um, you know, how many episodes into this are we, and we still haven't been able to crack that nut even <laughs> ourselves. Um, Absolutely. You know, Yeah. In, in the amount of listenership and support and, you know, getting message out there, you know, we've been at it for quite a while now and you know it really does seem that many people have become disengaged on all fronts so. absolutely
0: yeah yeah absolutely and uh, so i guess moving on from there because we've you know beaten that dead horse for a while uh there the government of canada in their wisdom in the couple of days after all of uh, all of this shit went down they decided to announce that uh, Bill C-92 uh, was going to Parliament. And for those who don't know, Bill C-92 is a uh, an act respecting First Nations, Inuit, and Métis children, youth, and families. And uh, that's what they say it is. And I just, I'm going to try to find the response from the Métis National Council because I thought it was absolutely amazing. Um, so... This is what Clement Chartier said. Time is of the essence in acting on the crisis of Métis children in care and ensuring the right of Métis governments to establish and maintain their own child welfare agencies. He went on to say the proposed legislation is a necessary and long overdue first step to achieve that. (laughs) So here we have another first step. Isn't it nice we're taking all these first steps, Jason?
1: It's hard to believe that uh, 130 years later, a formal Métis organization, that we can still do that.
0: Yeah, like that's amazing. And considering that, like I think in BC, they they handed over May, the Métis care, Métis children in care, or they're transitioning it over to the MNBC anyway. It's not really a first step, but eh, okay, I guess. Um, But I know that a lot of, uh, you know, First Nations and, and Inuit and things like that have really come out... In uh, critiquing this bill, because the first thing that I've heard a number of people say is that in the bill itself, there's actually no funding set for this. So there's there's absolutely zero funding for this uh, transition of of Indigenous children back to being in the care of their Indigenous uh, families, so to speak. in in the form of you know you know taking care of your own um, indigenous children, uh, so there's no funding. So this what I mean? What does this bill do if there's no funding to do that? So there's there's no funding set aside for any First Nation, Inuit, or Métis organization to set up their own uh, child welfare agency, as Charché puts it. So what does this bill do? <laughs> it really doesn't. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't do
1: much. It, well, come on now, Darcy. <laughs> Stop being so hard on them. Yeah. They told they tell you, it's a first step. Yes, this that's This is right. just the very first step on this journey to fixing the problem.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: That now, Maybe oh, in, a, in 10, 15, or 20 more years, we'll have stepped the problem out. But right now... It's just the first step.
0: <laughs> yeah, just the first step. You know, I, I, I so for
1: mo- for more on first steps, please listen to our previous episode.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, the previous what ninety six episodes. Just go find the first steps and all of those. Um, the other thing that I've heard too about this is that it actually doesn't specifically say that um, indigenous children must be turned over to an Indigenous organization or must be placed with Indigenous families or anything. It actually really doesn't change much right now, other than I think uh, really when you get into the meat and potatoes of it, it says that um, if it's possible, maybe we should do that. Um, But it doesn't specifically say, here's the line, Indigenous children are the responsibility of Indigenous and, you know, so on and so forth it kind of just says, eh, well, we should really be talking more with uh, Indigenous folks about uh, about children in care. But it So it, it's very vaguely worded. Uh, there's no specific funding set aside for it. Um, but, you know, again, leading into an election, as a wonderful and amazing first step, this is something where the, the Trudeau government can go in and say, Well, but we did, uh, we're trying to meet one of the calls to action from the TRC in addressing the issue of uh, Indigenous children being overrepresented in care. Um, Now, I guess my question to you, Jason, is how much would you trust putting a child, and I hate this term, but a child welfare agency in uh, in the hands of uh, the cartel? After everything we just talked about for 40 minutes.
1: Well, I think part of the problem is, is the government organization in and of itself is terrible. We yeah. have so many stories and cases of abuses of children and the horrific things that go on in there, in care, and that's not even Indigenous kids, that's just all kids. Yes. Um, given the, the level of administrative capacity of the cartel to ensure uh, <laughs> adults... Um, you know, fully con-, con, you know, cognitive adults who are responsible um, have their needs met, are, are looked after, yeah. uh, are no longer living on the side of the road. Yeah. Um, you know, we we have an organization that's now being funded to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars, and they can't address needs like that. I'm not completely confident that they're going to be able to adequately handle a, such a delicate portfolio, to put it bluntly. We have kids' lives in our hands, and I'm not sure they've ever demonstrated the capacity to be able to adequately do a better job than the government, frankly.
0: Absolutely. And, I mean, when you start putting logic to this and just starting to think about this, so right now there's a system in place, as as crappy as it is, where you have all these social workers that work for the government and they apprehend all these children at willy-nilly and based on how they feel that day or whether they had a good coffee that morning and uh, and I'm not even joking um so you have these th- this kind of a system already in place so okay let's let's turn this over to indigenous people that's a great idea how many years is it going to take to get that same number of indigenous social workers up to speed and educated and employed, and uh, departments, uh, you know, built and policies formed and all of these things. How many years is it going to take to develop all that before you can really start to transition the work over? I mean, you can't. You literally can't just you know hand over a bunch of files and be like, ah, you guys take care of it. Have fun. See you later." And that's not how this. Is. That's that's going to kill kids. So. With something like this, just logically, this is a 10-year plan at, at at best. So if there's no specific funding set aside, that means we're not getting started on it right away. Uh, so how long do we wait until we actually see this? Or is this just more words? And uh, one of the things I, w- I want to do is I want to read to you what, uh, you know, I guess a summary of, of Bill 92. Bill C-92 establishes principles that would include the best interests of the child, cultural continuity, and substantive equality. These principles would guide how services are delivered to Indigenous children in all jurisdictions and regions of the country, while aiming to reduce the number of children in care. So here you have a bill that is vague, doesn't really tell you specifics, and just from that doesn't doesn't say that it's actually going to transition this to the hands of indigenous people. It's just going to aim to reduce them. Well, I think we've had many programs that aim to reduce these things as well. But um, so yeah, it's I don't know. It's just it seems like it's it's just one another one of those like willy nilly promises that'll happen in thirty five years, maybe if ever.
1: Well, I think you hit a big big nail right on the head. There is not only is there not funding behind it. But the amount of administrative uh, wherewithal and even language and program that would have to be set forward before you could even transfer one kid, even if you had the money. Yeah. How How is the MNC going to create a program that's Métis driven, Métis first, both cultural, language, and finally in in the home for these kids? How, what have they done to demonstrate they have the capacity and are indeed taking up that burden? Yes. You know, they're not, and they don't have the wherewithal to do it. So the reality is if there's no funding, then there's no one doing it. And you and I both know you don't come up with that in an afternoon while you're sitting at Starbucks. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And then, Yeah. Yeah, and then there's the fact that a lot of these are probably going through the court system as we speak, which means you're not going to transition those ones to a new caseworker, a new organization, a new everything, because then you have to restart the whole process again. So this isn't a short-term solution at all, any by any means.
1: No, not in any stretch. This is something that's going to take years at the rate that these organizations move and their commitment level, and especially since they don't move unless it's tied to funding. So these kids who are in care right now, whether the First Nations or Métis, are going to be there for a long time. Because these organizations don't have the wherewithal to do what's best. Yeah. Well, and, and just a
0: thought I had while we were talking here that... It's kind of scary, to be honest with you, but let's say, for example, you transition this over. So let's say you had a 10-year plan and you had it laid out and you had a, 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 a process by which it's going to transition from here to, to your hands and we're done. Let's say you have that. Okay, now how do you fund uh, Métis child welfare programs? Well, you fund them based on the number of kids in care. So now you have essentially a privately funded or, well, a, a publicly funded private corporation that's running your child welfare. And so they get paid based on the number of kids in care. I think that's a very, very, very dangerous slope to go down When, the, it, unless they have the full plan that they don't want this to be part of their portfolio. So they're going to try to eliminate this avenue of funding. And I don't think they're going to do that. I mean, to, to these guys and, and the ladies that are in charge of these organizations, money is everything. And so if you say, well, you know, if you have, you know, uh, a thousand Métis kids in care, well, you're going to get X amount per kid. But if you only have 10 in care, you're going to get amount, X amount per kid, but it's going to be that's going to be a substantially lo- lower amount. It just scares me to think that we're putting a price tag on children and handing it over to an organization that I already have questions about their morals and ethics.
1: Well, and I think you're right. At where, what organization anywhere, regardless if it's here or not, purposely sets out to eliminate their own existence? Yeah. That, and that's what we're really, our expectation should be is through proper funding, through uh, proper administration and programs and services applied to this issue. Our need for kids in care would go down yes but then we're asking an administration we're going to set up a department with funding with with all the backing for its sole purpose to basically eliminate itself yeah you know that that never works who would you i mean in this day and age is that a job you'd sign up for or your job darcy's in five years to put yourself out of work <laughs> exactly well and especially
0: considering you're going to have to train and hire and, and wait for people to go through the education system to become, you know, registered social workers, licensed social workers, you're going to have to wait for that whole process only to then tell them, oh, by the way, now that you graduated and you got a great, I uh, got a job. Yeah. It's only, we want you to eliminate
1: your job. So work really hard at that. That, that yeah. ain't going to happen. So we, 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 yeah, well, that's all, even, even if it's downsizing. So we, we put a hundred people, 200 people through to administrate this program so that in where well, our hope is that we need less than a third of those people within 10 years. Yes. Well, then why did you go to school? Yeah.
0: I mean, essentially these are the same reasons why you we will never ever be eliminating, you know, veterans affairs or INAC or Cerno whatever the hell they're called now and those departments or portfolios out of the government. It's because none of the people there want to eliminate their own job. So they're not going to actually solve indigenous problems, and they're not going to solve veterans' problems, or the problems that their organize- their their agency has created. They're just going to keep kicking them down the the field, the kicking that ball down the field, so that they keep it, stay employed, because most of those people get pensions, and they they you know, I mean, they their livelihood is based on whether or not uh, veterans are getting screwed over out there, or indigenous people are getting <laughs> screwed over out there i I just don't think when you have people that are so colonial in mindset and have the dream of becoming as bureaucratically and nightmarish as the government of Canada has become when you look at these cartel organizations and their dream of being that i just don't uh, I don't feel comfortable about giving them vulnerable children to then take care of i i just i personally I don't I don't feel comfortable with that.
1: And, and and then you couple that with the fact that I think it is falsely set up with, you know, uh, poor parameters. You know, you're you're setting this up to fail. Yep. You're setting it up so that the crisis isn't reduced, the, the real problem isn't solved. And so you just continue to put a good smiley face Métis sticker on it saying, see, well, oh, it's all Métis people running it. It's all Métis protocols in place. Yep. Therefore, hmm, it's all good. No, you still got kids in care. Yeah. That's the fundamental problem we're not going to be addressing through this handoff is, sure, it'll be by Métis people, for Métis people. We're not addressing the fact is, why do we got kids in care?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and that that's really what this boils down to when you talk about children in care. Why are children in care? Children, in, Indigenous kids in this country are in care because of things like poverty, uh, you know, substance abuse issues, things like that. Um, and I'm sure there's a plethora of other reasons as well that are, you know, normal standard things that happen, you know, all over the country and all different ethnicities. But the truth is, is we have fundamental issues that that the government of Canada is responsible for creating the problem. And now the government of Canada is going to hand the problem back off onto Indigenous people, but not provide an adequate way for to resolve it, to... To reconcile that, it's just kind of like, well, this is a shit sandwich, so we're just going to hand it off to you guys and hope you, you know, hope your thoughts and prayers can do better than we can. Because, but at the end of the day, that's what this boils down to: is you're just handing off kids to another organization, who's probably going to have to work in the same parameters, and you're not solving the reason those kids are in care. And uh, like you said, that's that's really what this boils down to.
1: Yeah, and that's unfortunate. And again, th- that's what this is really all about. And I, and that's why I think that there has to be a broader conversation. Kids in care, is, and when you talk about Métis children, is a problem almost solely re- responsible uh, by cause and continuation yep. by the government. Yeah. By them kicking it to us and saying, "Well, here you go. Here's some money. Maybe uh, you create your own programs and services, and that are going to satisfy your need to have your culture and language and and heritage preserved with kids in care without ever taking responsibility for how they got there is really doing team people a disservice because we're still left trying to pick up the pieces without ever actually being able to go in and address why they're in care in the first place. Absolutely. And so at one hand, it, it's a good a good start. It's a good first step. But <laughs> the reality is, is you're holding a steaming pile of dog crap that you can't get off your hands.
0: Yeah. Well, that's just it. It's, you know, once again, Indigenous people are left to clean up the mess that the government has created. And the government continues to create. So we're not even stopping the the reasons why a lot of these kids are in care. We're just continuing it, but expecting a different result by by changing one little aspect of it. And, and I mean, that's... That again is where I would like to, where I would have maybe expected responsible leadership to come out and say, look, we will take those portfolios. Absolutely. We, we want to be involved. We want to have, a, you know, authority to step in when we feel we need to or whatever, whatever that authority looks like. However, we need to address these major issues as well in order to reduce the number of kids in care. Because to me, what this really boils... What this what this really says to me is that we're not really trying to reduce the kids in, amount of kids in care. We're just trying to make it look better and look like we're trying really hard to do it. Um, and, I, and And it's unfortunate because the ones that suffer here are the kids in care. And they're the ones that are going to continue to be abused are going to be continue to commit suicide, continue to be traumatized, continue to uh, be kicked out at a certain age and left all alone in the streets. And, uh, you know, while these these presidents of these cartel organizations and, you know, Minister Bennett and Justin Trudeau go home to their families in their nice warm beds and and sleep on their nice soft pillows every night. And, you know... So I, I personally, I wouldn't trust uh, the cartel organizations as far as I could throw them, and which isn't really far.
1: <laughs> I think on a closing note on this, what really concerns me at the end of the day is that given the fact we can't address the root of the problem, what's going to happen is, is exactly my fear, Darcy, is when, when you get kids who are further traumatized because they're in care or some other, you know, is you know unforeseen you know, it's something bad happens yeah. to these kids in care. Yes. The government's gonna come back and the and the greater Canadian society at large is gonna say, well look at this Metis organization me mis- mistreating these children. Mm-hmm. They were put in this Metis care because it was supposed to be culturally sensitive. It was supposed to have you know all the things that that they needed to avoid that. Yes. And I, I think the reality is it's still going to happen because the institution and the framework is the same and we can't address, address the root cause. And so when kids phase out of the system and are left with nowhere to go, who's going to be looked as the scapegoat? Well, ah. the Métis organization, the Métis people are. And yep. it's, it's a setup to incur the same wrath, all the, all the same aligning uh, of character that we now put on the colonial institution. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a huge fallacy to think that that we're going to somehow with the same constraints, budgetarily, administratively, socially, we're going to somehow succeed where they're failing right now. Yes. Absolutely. All we're going to end up doing is taking the blame.
0: Yeah. And that's a very good point. And I, I absolutely agree with you. And. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a good way to, to kind of close it out because I, you know, I just, I absolutely agree with what you said. It's, it makes me real nervous when the, when they start talking about this, uh, children in care like this. So I don't know, but I, I guess we move forward. I mean, it is a good first step, right?
1: Good first step. Um, probably you and I will be long gone before we actually ever see one kid <laughs> in, in Métis care. <laughs> yeah, more than likely. More than likely. Absolutely.
0: Well, I I guess I think for tonight, that's probably all the ranting that uh, we need to do. I don't know if you have any last final thoughts, random thoughts, anything that you want to get off your chest, well, Jason.
1: I, I'm, I'm hoping the weatherman isn't lying to me because I, I heard I heard that we might see the plus side of the thermometer by the weekend.
0: Yes, I know. I've been checking that out because uh, of my traveling, and, and even here at home, and I'm I'm very excited for pluses.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine what that what that's gonna feel like. These shorts and t-shirt weather, man. I'm gonna have to find my suntan lotion. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: All right. Well, I I guess uh, I, you know that's all we got tonight. So if you guys uh, make sure you head out and check out our stuff on social media. Uh, make sure you like and share everything obviously and same thing as always but uh, yeah until next week until next Tuesday when we'll have more ranting and raving to do I think that's all we got so until then the jig is up
1: you are the spark that's starting a fire that will
0: spread across this land and it will be a fire that doesn't burn but a fire that cleanses a fire that ignites in our hearts and creates light no more living in darkness our time now Bro!